Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 6. The Ghoul in Pajamas The shock of losing Mad-Eye hung over the house in the days that followed. Harry kept expecting to see him stumping in through the back door like the other Order members who passed in and out to relay news. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. A big thanks to our patrons this week who have particular amazing magical talents of being part of our Patreon community. Julia Schwartz, Katie Speed, Anna Huang, Outlier Media, and Ellen Bates. Thank you so, so much. Outlier Media, never met her before. She's lovely, a great sense of fashion. And of course, we would like to tell you about one of our local groups in San Diego, California, which is run by Meredith Cotton. And unfortunately, they don't have a cute name, at least not one that we know of. So Casper, let's come up with one right now. The San Diego Surfers. That has nothing to do with Harry oh, Potter. What about this? Diagwenos Alley. Yeah, everyone in San Diego, we think that you should do some sort of pun with Diagon Alley. Like the San Diego Diego and Alley. Yeah, the San Diego and Azali. <laughs> there it is. We solved it, San Diego. It's It needs a little workshopping. No, no. Everything <laughs> we do together is perfect. Well, Vanessa, we're reading this week's chapter through the theme of hesitation. I hope you're not hesitating to tell me a story. Um, a couple of years ago now, I got fired from a job 
And I'm not allowed to say more about it because I was made to sign a non-disclosure agreement. But one of the fallouts of my being fired from that job is that my affiliation with Harvard came into question. And therefore, my housing came into question because I was proctoring at the time. So I had gotten quite used to not paying rent and planning on not paying rent for several years to come. And so as soon as I you know, lost my job, it wasn't just wages and healthcare I was worried about. I was immediately worried about losing my home. And I serendipitously had a meeting scheduled with someone who you might have heard of before, everyone. We talk about her sometimes. Her name is Stephanie Paulsell. Like the day after it had been decided that I was being let go from my job. And she asked, like, what are you going to do? And I told her like the full extent of my panic where I was like, I don't know. I think I'm probably going to have to move back to California because I was not expecting to have to move like this. I like don't have first last security deposit ready for Boston. And just sort of like my mind was just spinning of I have no idea what I'm going to do. But I think I've just lost everything. And she sat there and was like, Vanessa, don't be silly. I will hire you to be my teaching assistant and you will teach with me. And that is how you will stay affiliated with Harvard and you will keep living in the dorms and you will figure out what's next. And that gift, in addition to being a job where I got to work with Stephanie Paulsell part time and keep my housing, that was really a gift of hesitation. What it allowed me to do was not to move forward at breakneck speed and have to make a series of not very well thought through decisions that would have had me in a totally different place in my life. And instead, I got to make a considered decision with what I wanted to do next. And it took something horrible that happened to me and turned it into an incredible opportunity. But it wouldn't have been an opportunity if I hadn't been given the grace to hesitate. And I think that that is one of the beautiful things about hesitation. And I think we see some versions of that in this chapter of, you know, Mrs. Weasley is giving the kids a forced hesitation here. And I think that there are a lot of gifts that come when someone sort of grabs your hand and says, stop and look before you jump off of a cliff. And so I'm interested in talking about this theme because I don't think that that's the only thing hesitation is. I think hesitation can encompass a lot of things, but I do think that's one of the things that hesitation gives us. I love that. Like, especially if you're making a hesitation and then still continuing with your plan. I haven't thought about hesitation like that, that there's value, even if it's like taking a breath and then still going ahead with it. Yeah. I mean, I think of hesitation, you know, I used to go cliff jumping a lot and like you can get to the top and just jump, which is a strategy, right? Because you don't want to look down for how far below it is. Uh But there's an invitation to like look at the view, right? You're never that high up. Mm. And so to me, hesitation is about pausing before you continue. But I, I think to your point, I think it's about so many more things than just that. Well, Casper, don't hesitate before you do a 30 second recap. You don't want to be standing on the precipice of a 30 second recap for too long. You'll psych yourself out. You'll be like, no, no, I need 41 seconds. And I'll be like, nope, it's only 30. You got to just jump right in. Will you count me in? On your mark, get set, go. 
Okay, so Harry, Ron, and Hermione keep trying to steal time to like talk about the plan and what's going to happen. But the Delacours are arriving, and fr- it's Madame and Monsieur, and it's beautiful. And little Gabrielle is there as well, and they are having a great time. Um, the chickens need feeding. The laundry needs folding. Turns out Mrs. Weasley made a big list of tasks, but most of them have been done. So it turns out Harry, Ron, and Hermione do have a moment to sit together. And Hermione's like, "By the way, I made my parents forget that I exist." And Ron's like, "By the way, I turned a ghoul into me, and this is the plan. And why did you ever think about doing this on your own? Because we're coming with." you we love you oh my god such a good job wow honestly that was maybe my best 30 second recap can i tell you the strategy i used because this is a whole new approach i didn't try and do it narratively i did it thematically and that really helped me 30 seconds on the clock for you my love three two one go so Molly is trying to keep everybody apart and she's um, she's cleaning for everybody and she is really worried about the wedding. She's really worried that everybody's interrupting their education and they're not even telling her why. Um, everybody's still really sad about Moody. Ron does this really sad thing where he's like, maybe Moody isn't dead because they weren't able to find his body. Um, Ron has some moves on Hermione. Like Harry goes to try to cuddle her at one point and he's like, boom, I'm here first. Take my yes. dirty handkerchief. Wait, no, it's sort of clean now. And that's all that matters. Harry this is Ginny. Molly's eyes look like Ginny's eyes. That was a little moment there where I was like, I didn't know it was that kind of book. <laughs> that was the moment for me where I was like, in your eyes. Well, let's start there, Casper, ah! because that conversation between Molly and Harry is all about hesitation. Okay. Molly is like, please hesitate on whatever this plan is. You are planning on interrupting your education. And I don't see why. And then she says a line that I was like, yeah, good point, Molly. She was like, Dumbledore could not have meant for the three of you to go alone. And I think that this is subtext, not text. But then she says something like, that would be so dumb if he had said that to you. Please bring Lupin with you. He's smart and can be helpful. And I can't imagine how he would hurt your cause. Like, why does it have to be you who's the hero? And I just, I agree. Honestly, the thing about the scene that I am still confused about is the way in which Mrs. Weasley jumps in and out of that conversation. She's very task-oriented. And, oh, by the way, can you do the chicken shed? And can you do the cutlery, et cetera? And then she gets super intense with Harry and is like, Harry, I think you're making a huge mistake. Like, tell me what's going on. And then when Harry kind of says, it has to be me, you have to understand We've made the decision. Then she just like flips out of it again. So is she doing this because she feels like it's the right thing to do? Does she want to make sure someone in their life is saying you don't have to do this? Is she really getting them to hesitate? I don't know. Well, the reason she's doing it is because she can't help herself. And I hate to say that with so much confidence, but as somebody who often is like, Vanessa, your opinion is not needed here. Your opinion is not needed here. And by the third time I say it to myself, my opinion is out of my mouth. Like you sometimes you just can't help it. And sometimes love looks like me giving you my opinion when you don't want it. And so I feel like Molly and I are the same in that. But you asked, does it really help them hesitate? I mean, she keeps them strategically apart from one another. I mean, certainly she keeps Harry there for an extra couple of days. He was immediately ready to leave. It gives Hermione the opportunity to pack. It gives Harry the opportunity to say one more time, you don't have to come. And to hear the speeches of Ron and Hermione of how far they've gone, which I think is like 
a biblical, really important rite of mm. passage, right? Like you say no three times to make sure somebody really mm-hmm. wants to come. So I do think she is creating some space here in an important way. I do think you've just pointed us to the most important part of this chapter, which is the revelation that both Ron and Hermione share of the efforts they've gone to, how committed and determined they are, and that they're not hesitating, right? Despite Harry's asking them to really reconsider. Hermione reveals that she has magicked her parents into believing that there's someone else and that they want to move to Australia, which she then just like offhandedly says, which probably by this time they've done, and that they've forgotten that they've had a daughter, which like... It's the saddest part when she's like, they don't have a daughter, you see? I was like, yes, they do. They just don't remember right now. I mean, can you imagine anything? It's like you're really making a decision here. And Veron, he's created this ghoul with Spatagroit with the help of his brothers and his dad to kind of play Ron for months to come. So they've gone to great efforts to accompany Harry to do so safely. There's no hesitation in them. And one of the questions that came up for me is like, do they ever off page have a conversation without Harry talking it through between the two of them. I mean, sometimes the hesitation just isn't seen, right? Either it's internal or we don't get to see someone in that phase. But I think it's very natural to always have questions, even if you've made a decision, as Hermione says, months, maybe even years ago. I mean, we all hear this in terms of weddings, right? You can be completely committed to getting married and you get cold feet. Like nobody understands the commitment that they're getting into when they get married. But like, If you don't have a moment of cold feet, then you really don't understand the commitment you're about to get into because it's everything, (laughs) right? And you should be hesitating. And I just like don't think hesitation is a sign that you're not all the way in. I think that you can hesitate and be determined. I think it's important as you get new information in to stop and say still question mark and wonder. And I think without hesitation, you don't do that. I just think this time at the borough is so important to remind Harry about what he's fighting for. Mm. If he had gone straight from Privet Drive to trying to hunt Horcruxes, it would still be this noble mission that he would be determined to do. But I think that having the visual of the types of lives that he is trying to protect, the magical way of life that he is trying to protect is really important to give him that sense of, oh, this is a fight worth fighting for. I love that. And even with a sort of international element to it, with the Delicas, right? Like there's a vision of unity and coming together. And because Fleur is part Vila, there's like a multi-magical creature element to that as well. Of course, Hagrid and Lupin and others are there as well. So it is really a vision of, to use that MLK phrase of like the beloved community. And so Harry's purpose isn't just about revenge for his parents or his own satisfaction of fulfilling the prophecy. Or just an assignment from Dumbledore. (laughs) Right. It's like, this is your final paper. And he's like, I'm done. I'd like an extension, please. (laughs) Right. And so there's a bigger purpose that is made clear in this whole experience. I mean, there was something that struck me and that Harry kind of reveals the plan to Ginny. That is exactly what I was about to say. I was like, this is proof that Dumbledore is full of it. And you can absolutely talk about this with everyone. And this is like the horror movie when someone calls and is like, don't call the police. I'm like, call the police. Yeah, just do it. (laughs) Why can't everybody hunt Horcruxes? You don't want Voldemort to find out that you know the secret about the Horcruxes. But like, is a fourth person going to hurt? 
But we see in the text that they think it will, because that's one of the reasons they've moved the headquarters from Grimmauld Place to the borough, because at this point, there are 1920 people who've become the secret keeper after Dumbledore has died. And they're like, that risk is too big. Of course, Snape is in there, Mundungus is in there. So it's also about who has access to it. But there is something about the number growing. I mean, if you think about the metaphor of a virus, right, like how quickly these things spread, I can understand the instinct to maintain it. But help me understand this moment between Harry and Ginny, because Harry isn't purposefully like sitting her down and telling her the plan and like, please understand. It just kind of falls out of him. Like there's actually a huge lack of hesitation for him in sharing information. I think because he feels safe that they're without sometimes feeling afraid, maybe we don't hesitate enough. I mean, the other thing is that he's annoyed, like Mrs. Weasley is saying, (laughs) you shouldn't go. And he's like, what does she know about it? And so I think that there is just like a frustration element. So I think it's frustration plus safety that allows for this to happen. At Mm. least if you get me in frustration plus safety, that definitely equals me saying things I shouldn't say, quote unquote, (laughs) venting. But that is one of the beautiful things about relationships that make you feel safe is that you don't feel the need to hesitate. And I actually think that we should probably hesitate with those relationships more often than we do. So many of us right now are locked at home with like only one other person. And again, I think that hesitation can be not feeling the need to hesitate is a sign of safety. But I think that even Mm. when we don't feel the need, sometimes we should. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's something so counterintuitive, especially for me, like I think out loud, I'm a very social person, very extroverted. Sometimes when I feel most sure is probably the time when I should hesitate. Claire Danes in Homeland has this wonderful moment where she was like, I was never more sure and never more wrong. And I feel like I have definitely been that person. Like, My own confidence can absolutely outweigh, if I really thought about it, some of the hesitation that I should be encountering. And what's so helpful for me in the way that you framed it is that it doesn't mean I have to choose something else. Like, even if I'm sure, I could still choose the same thing, but just with an extra breath before I make that decision. And so when we look at it on a big scale across the seven books, you're so right. The burrow represents that brief moment and not even the burrow, right? Like, it's the fact that the wedding is happening because Harry's birthday comes the night before the wedding. And it's a little bit like the way in which traditionally you you don't celebrate Shabbat for 24 hours, you celebrate it for 25, right? So it's a full day plus one hour because you you just want to hold on to it for one hour more. And I see that here with just like just one day more, like the sweetness of being together, this moment to soak in the love and the connection and to really, really think through, is this what we want to do? And is this what you want to risk? Right. I think, again, it's just this beautiful reminder to Harry that, like, it's not just about him. I was just thinking that sometimes you'll see, like, in movies and stuff, someone will be like, okay, yes, I'll marry you. And the other person will be like, it took you too long to say yes. And I'm like, what is that, right? Like, there isn't a timer on these things. Oh, but sometimes there is. Like, sometimes it can feel premeditated. Like, it's not really how you feel, right? Like, if you say I love you and the other person's like, hmm, hmm, I love you. (laughs) You're like, no. Oh, I really disagree. I don't think that people should be trying to be cruel, but I just think hesitating is fine. Saying 
I am on a different pace than you is just like not a bad thing. Here's the thing. I don't think hesitation is always a good thing. You hesitate and like bad things can happen in certain circumstances. Sometimes you need a quick reaction. I'm watching a lot of Westerns right now. And imagine like on a gun draw, like right at that second, you're like, hang on. Yes. Do I want to be in a gunfight right think now? About this. Like that's not a great moment <laughs> to hesitate. But I think overall we need to be inviting ourselves or not inviting ourselves. We need to be allowing ourselves those hesitations and not saying, oh, I hesitated and saying I love you. I must not love you. But just mm. being like, OK, I hesitated. Let me think. Now what? I appreciate you sharing that that Western example, because, again, that's in the chapter. Hermione is walking back from Dumbledore's funeral and realizes, oh, wait, Dumbledore probably has the books about the Horcruxes hidden. Let me just try and Accio them, which it wasn't premeditated, right? She hadn't thought about it before. It just struck her and she tried it and it paid off. No, and I think that there are times where it's almost important to let a moment overwhelm you, right? Mm. I think that there are times where you like have to be impetuous and do what you got to do. We should talk about what Hermione learns in those books, though, because... I started book seven with a real interest in getting to that train station scene with Dumbledore at the very end where we have this like demon baby soul ripped apart. That's just like Gollum-esque, you know, like under Harry. But here's the thing. My answer is actually in this chapter, in chapter six, because Hermione explains that a soul can rejoin itself after it's been split into two in a Horcrux by feeling the depth of remorse like remorse remakes your soul after you've split it in two, which honestly I'd completely forgotten. And I've, I have all sorts of questions now about, so that demon baby that we're going to meet at the end is like an unremorseful snippet of Voldemort's soul. I didn't remember that you could heal your soul. Well, Casper, I don't believe in any of this soul business. Do you? How does this theology speak to you? Do you like find it interesting as a theology? I mean, I do think it really stimulating to think about the concept of a soul, right? That there is something about me and you and any human being, maybe also any living thing, that is more than our physical expression. And I love that language of, you know, the soul doesn't live in the body, the body lives in the soul. And so I, I do like that idea that there is something about us. And maybe souls only live in our memory or our imagination, but just because it lives in your head doesn't make it any less real. Dumbledore, is that you? <gasps> Speaking from beyond. <laughs> so I so I, I do, I love the language of soul because I think it points to something in us or around us or about us that is more than our physical body and that is longer than just our lived experience in the world. And, and I like that its essence is good. And so the, the revelation in this whole conversation for me is that in the wizarding world, the concept of a soul is repairable. And that's honestly always been one of the things that I found most difficult about the Harry Potter books was that I I thought they were telling us that they couldn't, that, it, that, that once it was torn asunder, right, you end up with these demon babies. And yeah. I don't want demon babies. I want a vision of our essential being as being repairable. Yeah. And I like that the way to rip your souls by negatively impacting somebody else, right? It shows the absolutely the like interdependence of our, us having healthy souls is all about how we treat others, which is a really beautiful idea. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app, and when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. So a moment in the text that really reminded me of you, it's between courses. Like, everybody is talking and it gets loud and Molly clears all the plates. And then what it says in the text is there was a pause. And a pause is sort of a hesitation. And I saw it as a moment of respect for Molly. Like she has it under control. She she's magicked all the plates. Mm. No one needs to help her. But nor is she a server at a restaurant who you feel comfortable just ignoring while she clears your plates. So I saw this sort of as a Sabbath or as a ritual moment of everybody pausing and being quiet just for a second while Mrs. Weasley does something Mm. on their behalf. So sometimes I think a hesitation can just be that, right? It's just as simple as letting someone go ahead of you through the door. Remember when we used to go through doors together? But, right, like a hesitation (laughs) can sometimes just be like a brief moment of grace. Mm. Yeah, it struck me when I was reading. I was like, oh, that's interesting that she's the one doing it. I was frustrated reading it. I was like, even when there's magic, Mrs. Weasley has to be the one who's clearing plates, right? Who's organizing food. But this is such a better reading because although of course the gender lens is important, this actually says she's the one constantly in this chapter creating space, creating a pause in that hesitation space on the macro, but also on the micro scale in the middle of dinner. That is a really, really lovely kind of metaphor. I have one final observation, which is, I don't know why the whole wizarding world has called Voldemort you-know-who, when they could have been calling him Volovant. (laughs) (laughs) Why did this occur to you, Casper? 
Well, we actually learned that there are volivants being prepared and it was very close in the text next to the word Voldemort. And I was like, they both have this Frenchy sound. They both have three syllables and start with vol. It's the perfect nickname. And it's also like slightly ridiculous, right? Like you make something less frightening when you satirize it. So I'm just going to call Voldy like Moldy Voldy. I'm just going to call him Volivant from now on. Okay, you do that. We'll see if people understand you. I would hesitate on that, but you do you, love. <laughs> let me let me accept your invitation to hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, I still think it's a good idea. <laughs> so, Casper, it's time for us to do Lectio Divina, our beloved sacred reading practice. Would you like to pick a quote for us? Yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> my finger landed here. Your husband has been telling us such amusing stories. <laughs> so step one of Lectio Divina, we talk about what's literally happening in the sentence. And this is Mrs. Delacour, who says this to Molly. She's a little <laughs> bit flirting, but she's actually really lovely. She's obviously so, so beautiful. And I do think that there's like this intentional pro-French thing here, right? Like everybody is so anxious about this like French family coming into this English house. And they're just like lovely and generous and find everything wonderful and think Mr. Weasley is charming and think that like the garden is beautiful and the food is delicious and everything is great. And so they just seem like the best guests ever. And it just starts right at the beginning with Mrs. Delacour coming in and saying, your husband has been telling us such amusing stories. <laughs> which, honestly, it's followed by maybe one of the best sentences in the whole book, which is Mr. Weasley gave a maniacal laugh. And Mrs. Weasley gives him a look and then he assumes the expression appropriate to the sickbed of a close friend. It's just amazing. <laughs> I'm so sorry for all of our losses. This is tragic. <laughs> Quite tragic that I was flattered by that woman. So step two of Lectio Divina is where we ask ourselves what other stories this reminds us of. Can you read it for us once again, please, Casper? Bien sûr. Your husband has been telling us such amusing stories. And I am genuinely reading it as written yes, because the, the H's are dropped. So you're supposed to have a bit of an accent. What it reminds me of is the Odyssey. Odysseus keeps getting stuck places because of like, good company, right? Like he gets stuck on all of these islands along the way because it's like just so comfortable. It reminded me of that, that there's something beautiful about this kind of hosting, but there's also something sort of dangerous about this kind of hosting. Like you can accidentally flirt a little bit too much with Mrs. Delacour and end up sleeping on the couch. The thing it really reminds me of is the Pink Panther and the amazing fake French accent that Peter Sellers puts on when he, (laughs) my favorite scene ever is he walks into a building and there's a man there with a dog and the Pink Panther is a little scared. So he's saying like, does your dog bite? And the man says, no, no, my dog does not bite. So the Pink Panther walks a little closer and then the dog bites him. (laughs) And then he's like, you said your dog does not bite. And then the man responds, That is not my dog. (laughs) (laughs) So just like every bad French accent in a movie, (laughs) 
that's coming to mind. He realizes that bad French accent is not in the book. It's in your reading of the book. <laughs> that is also a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so step three of Lectio Divina, we ask ourselves what this reminds us of in our own lives. And once again, the sentence is, your husband has been telling such amusing stories. And Casper, what does this remind you of in your life? I mean, I am immediately thinking about growing up in my family. You know, we would often have guests and my dad is quite like introverted, but he can be very charming, especially when meeting middle-aged ladies. And <laughs> and so I'm I'm just remembering people walking around the side of the house to the back garden where we'd have tea together. And my, you can hear my dad like telling a funny story and people laughing as they're walking around. Or, we, you know, we had a bed and breakfast at home. So very often we'd have strangers staying as as paying guests in our house. And mum would be doing all sorts of, you know, logistics, last minute, changing the sheets, getting some flowers from the garden and would kind of like look at my dad, like keep them busy with an entertaining story while I quickly fluff up the pillows. So just that kind of teamwork, Mrs. Weasley is getting the final things ready. Mr. Weasley is bringing the guests in. That reminds me so much of my my own upbringing. How about you? What does this remind you of? Yeah, it reminds me of similar things. You know, like 20 of us were at my grandparents' house for Shabbat every Friday night for much of my childhood. And there were always guests and they all had accents. And I'm sure I've told the story before. I just thought accents were something that happened to your voice as you got older because all the older people had accents. And I didn't realize how magical it was. You know, you just take those things for granted. But, you know, I guess to some extent I've recreated it for myself, right? I still live in a house full of accents and we have people over all the time. So yeah, it just reminds me of how beautiful it is to hang out in like really diverse situations. So step four of Lectio Divina is where we ask ourselves what we feel called to because of this sentence. Casper, do you mind reading it for us one more time? You bet. Your husband has been telling us such amusing stories. One of the things I read recently was how some academic research proved that when parents tell their kids family stories, especially stories of resilience or making it through a difficult challenge, that it has all sorts of amazing impacts on the child's well-being and academic success even. It, obviously, I'm not like seven anymore. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm much older. Surprise. But there's still so many stories about my parents' life that I don't know. And so I guess maybe one of our next like family Zoom calls can be some more story times rather than just like updates about our lives now is to hear some more old stories. That always makes me feel really like at home and good to hear them. How about you? What it calls me to is something that one of the kids in our kids class talked about. Also this past week, we did a Lectio Divina with them where we were looking at the sentence where Hermione tells Harry that he's a great wizard at the end of book one. And this little kid, he's like six. He said that he feels called to be more encouraging to other people because once he wasn't doing well in a soccer game and someone was encouraging to him and it made all the difference. And I think this means a lot to Mr. Weasley. He goes to the ministry. He hangs out with the order and then it's family. They all know his stories, so they aren't amusing to them anymore. I'm like, <laughs> someone new is like hearing his story for the first time. And even though he gets into trouble with Mrs. Weasley for it, like it means a lot to people, especially when you mean it. 
And I think she does. I think Mrs. She Delacour does. does. Yeah. Oh, I guarantee you, Arthur is charming. It's what Molly fell in love with, right? Like, we just forget the gifts that one another have. Yes. And so I think I just feel called to, like, you know, when Peter cooks something delicious, even if I've had it 10 times, to be like, this is still so delicious. Mm. You know, I think that it's important for us to say things like that is a great story, even if we've heard it before. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's time to hear from one of our listeners, and this week we're going to hear from Kylie. Hi, Vanessa, Casper, Ariana, and team. I wanted to talk for a moment about how much your podcast means to me, especially now during the coronavirus pandemic. I am someone who hates uncertainty. As a teacher, a choir teacher, so much is uncertain, and I am really struggling. As I was listening to the opening of your podcast today, It struck me just how much I value the ritual of your podcast. I want to add that yes, I have pre-ordered the audio version of Casper's book. I cannot wait. With the entire world in disarray, it was surprisingly comforting to listen to you both and know that opening story, 30-second recap, thoughtful discussion, spiritual practice, voicemail, credits, and even the blooper at the end is a consistent ritual that I can count on. It may seem very small, but right now, hanging on to the small things is what's helping me through this time. Blessings to all of you and to everyone else who is struggling with uncertainty right now. May we all find comfort in the ritual of very small things. Thanks. 
Kylie, you are speaking my language, girl. <laughs> I mean, it's for real, though. It's really real. I think one of the things that we have lost and have to remake somehow is the rhythm of our day. You know, whether it was a commute to work, even if the commute wasn't that interesting or enjoyable, we knew it was a certainty in the day and it gave us a sense of feeling at home. Or we knew we'd see a colleague in this place or we'd have lunch with that person or we'd see this stranger on the train platform, whatever it is. And without those kind of little daily signals that say, hey, like the world is okay, right? It's dependable. It's very disorienting. And so it's really important for us to find new ways to do that. I've noticed people, for example, changing into like weekend clothes or like taking off a collared shirt and putting on a sweatshirt at the end of the workday to try and make some sort of semblance between working and not working if you are able to work from home. So I I really get it. And I mean, obviously, that's what my book is about, is like taking these everyday practices, whether it's listening to a podcast or taking the dog for a walk and finding little strategies to help make them into rituals that give us a sense of meaning and connection to something bigger. So I'm so thrilled that that resonates for you. And I'm thrilled that the podcast is one of those rituals for you. If we can be part of that in your life, that makes me very, very happy. I agree with everything that Casper said. And I just want to say that, Kylie, you forgot about blessings. But then you blessed us at the end, so I guess. Yeah, you know. so you obviously know about blessings <laughs> and do a really good job with blessings. You just forgot to list it as one of the segments on our podcast. And that will remind us of the blessings that we can make right now. And we literally get two sentences, three sentences about this moment, but it is heartbreaking. And I want to bless Mr. and Mrs. Granger, who now no longer recognize that name. Imagine waking up with an overwhelming desire to move to Australia, just like not recognizing this girl who is in all these photographs in your house. Like maybe they don't even want to be dentists anymore. And they're like, actually, I'm a kite surfing instructor. Why do I live in suburbia? And so I just, my heart breaks for them. And it's comical, but it's also just desperately, desperately sad. So just a blessing for Mr. and Mrs. Granger and a, a deep desire that they can safely reconnect with Hermione and re-enter their old life if they want to after Follavant has been destroyed. <laughs> How about you, Vanessa? I hardcore felt for Hermione this week. She's making book piles and deciding mm. which books to take on a trip and which books not to take on a trip. And I would just like to say that the last trip that I went on before quarantine was with Julia. We went away for one night and I brought four books and <laughs> I didn't read all four books in 20 hours. In fact, I, I'm not sure I read at all. <laughs> I just want to say to Hermione, you do you, girl. Sometimes books aren't just about books. They're like protection. They're mm. like, I know I can use them if I need them. They're psychological protection. You're like, I can go into this other world if I need to. Do it. I love it. Bring all the books. Don't let the boys tease you. Traveling with the library is the only way to travel. Amen. Just remember to pack underwear. <laughs> pack books, chocolate, and underwear. <laughs> Packing list from Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook where many cool things are happening or join our Facebook common room to chat with other listeners about this episode. In there, you'll also find our mutual aid society and you can also join local group conversations, many of which are still happening online. 
A big, big thank you to everyone who's joined us on Patreon over the last few months. It has become more important than ever as so many other things are changing. So thank you to everyone who's done that. And we're thrilled that tickets are selling fast for our summer camp extravaganza, July 26th to August 2nd. You can choose from joining us for a one-off live show, a weekend of classes and exciting introspection, or a week-long program of all sorts of activities, which I am very, very excited to co-host with Vanessa and the team. Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 7, The Will of Albus Dumbledore, through the theme of identity. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our associate producer is Ariana Martinez. And our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. Thank you to Kylie for this week's voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Maggie Needham, Megan Kelly, and I heard recently from Stephanie Paulsell, who said it makes her cry when we say her name every week. Don't cry, Stephanie, but we love you. So much. You went the Memory Palace route. I did go Memory Palace. Teresa of Avila in the Memory Palace. Finding God in the 30-second recap. That is my next book. (laughs) 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 All right. Uh, It's going to be, ironically, it's going to be a really long book. (laughs) 